Today, I want to encourage you to express your love to God in prayer. I want to challenge you to love people as you intercede for them in prayer. And I want you to be aware of God's correction and his judgment. Uh, these are some of the topics that we'll be reading from in 1 John chapter 5, if you want to turn there. We'll also have the verses on the monitors that you can follow along. Um, let's pray as we begin. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for this time that we can draw close to you. We pray that you would speak to us today. Help us to understand your will and to follow it. Help us to learn to pray and to intercede for people that are in need. And teach us the ways that we can have answered prayers. And we pray that you would protect us from going down any path that is not of you. That we would not need to experience your correction, but that we could abide in Jesus. We thank you so much for this place. We pray that you would speak to us through your word and that you would remind us of your love and your grace. We commit this time to you and we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as John writes a short letter that we've been studying, um, we see one of the main themes is the love of God. And John also exhorts us, he says, since we have received love, we should love in return. Um, God is a God of amazing love, right? Because his love is eternal. Uh, it's a love that is steadfast, meaning it doesn't change. And he invites us to interact with him. I always think that's amazing, right? He didn't just create us and let us do whatever we would like to do, but he created us so that we would know him and love him. And one of the basic ways of relating to God is called prayer, right? Uh, and the most basic definition for prayer, what would you say? Right? It's talking to God. And so um, it's natural when we pray uh, to understand that we're speaking to God because he loves us and we love him. And in a relationship built upon love, right, you talk to one another. And so a heart of love towards God is expressed through prayer. Are you talking to God? Uh, how often do you say, Heavenly Father, I love you? You know, it, it warms my heart to tell him that I love him because he loves me and he's given so much. And in 1 John, I want you to remember that John writes many times the importance of our relationship with Jesus, with our creator, and it's based upon him loving us first. And also the relationship begins as we were saved and then it continues for all eternity. And so as we prayed to ask the Lord to forgive us in the past, we talked to him day by day. And as we enter into eternity, we're also going to be talking to the Lord. And speaking about uh, that connection to eternity, we're going to read from 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Here, John describes one of the reasons he wrote his letter. He says that we, as believers in Jesus, would know that we have eternal life. I think that's an amazing thing. Um, I grew up kind of in a smaller town, 
we would go fishing in this old truck. And as I was getting a little bit older, um, my dad says, what do you think about that truck? I go, well, it's nice. We go fishing in it. He goes, well, you know, you're going to turn 14. Pretty soon you're going to be driving, because back in those days, I started driving at 14. He goes, what do you think if you pay for the paint job and I give you the truck? And I said, sure. You know, and I never doubted that that truck was going to be mine. And when I paid him the money and the paint job was done, I was so happy because I knew that now that truck was no longer just an old truck. It was my truck. 1949 uh, Chevy pickup. But in the same way that I had joy knowing that I had just acquired something, when I asked Jesus to be my savior, I had that assurance. I have eternal life. And what a gift. It's an amazing gift. And is there a better gift? I don't think so. Eternal life is the best gift that we can receive. It's so important. And here, um, we're also told that this gift is in Jesus. In verse 11, it says, and this life, eternal life, is in his son. And it says in verse 13, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, meaning we have this gift through believing on Jesus, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So we're to continue to believe uh, and we're to declare who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? He is the one who chose to come from heaven to be born as a man on earth. Uh, we know him to be God, God the Son, who is also our Savior. He chose to live on earth. He lived a perfect life. And because he did so, he could die in our place for our sins. And then he rose again on the third day. That's the gospel. That's the good news, right? That Jesus wants us to receive his gift of eternal life. And he did everything that was necessary for us to receive it. It says we have it now, even though we're not yet in heaven. Um, about a year and a month ago, uh, Marta's mom died. And the other day she said, oh, honey, I want to be in heaven. Right? I want to be with mom and uh, the other people that have gone on before. And that's part of knowing, right, eternal life. If you are with believers, you can know that you're going to be connected with them again. And it's based upon God's love. And this concept of talking to God isn't just for today, but it's for all eternity. Right? The one who created us created us that we would know him and express ourselves to him in prayer. So the next verses uh, talk about prayer. First uh, John chapter five, verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we've just been reminded of two things. First, that we have eternal life now. Second, that we can pray to God and we understand that he hears, and the meaning is that he listens and he answers according to his will. If you have your Bible open, um, you can turn to ch chapter 3 of 1 John and verse 22. It says something similar. It says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So John says that when we please God and keep his commandments, whatever we ask. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, we will receive, I think it's a wonderful promise, uh, 
please God, keep the things that are important to him, and whatever you ask, you're going to be able to receive because you're asking according to his will. Of course, there's an issue of time, right? Sometimes we ask and we want it right now. But the Lord says, no, it's best if I give it to you later. And um, sometimes the Bible tells us that we ask in a wrong way. We ask for our own benefit. And then we don't receive that because we're looking at it from a selfish perspective. But here we're told, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. If you're not experiencing answers to your prayer, then you must think about it. Am I walking in a way that pleases God? Am I keeping his commandments? Is every area of my life honoring God? We know that God doesn't want us to have bitterness or hate in our hearts because God is love. When you're talking to other people, how do you express yourself? Do you express a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger towards people? If you spend most of the time telling other people what you don't like, what you hate, then probably you're not pleasing God. Have you ever thought about that? If God is a God of love and he wants to pour his love into our life, he doesn't want us to represent everything that we hate. He wants us to have his love in our life. And so pleasing him also means that our heart is changed and we're more like Jesus and less like the people around us. For the person who believes in Jesus and wants to do the things that Jesus did, Jesus gives amazing promises. And these are the words of Jesus himself um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, from 12 to 15. Jesus said, Most assuredly, or truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, these are wonderful words, right? Jesus says, if you believe in me, you're going to do the same type of things that I did. And he even says, greater. Uh, is it greater in importance? I don't think so, right? Jesus rose people from the dead. Uh, it's probably greater in number, right, in quantity, because he is going to the Father. He's not going to be on earth anymore. He's going to choose to work through believers. So I believe that it's greater in quantity. But he says in verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Why? That the Father would be glorified in the Son. So doing what pleases God brings glory to the Father. If you ask anything in my name, notice two times, right? Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. So Jesus is wanting to work through us. And what does it mean when it says, asking in his name. Most of us know that it means his character, right? His nature. Uh, the name Jesus in Hebrew means, uh, is Yeshua, which means uh, God is salvation. And when we ask in his character, it means that we have confidence that we're asking according to how he would do it, 
what he would do, then we ask. Uh, when we were in Ukraine, <clears throat> I was part of a prayer meeting for pastors, and one brother was there, and uh, he started in the prayer, like started the prayer time, and I think in just a few sentences, he said, in the name of Jesus, like three or four times. But then it came his next time to pray, and I counted, I don't know why, it was probably not the best thing to do, but 17 times in his prayer, he said, in the name of Jesus. I don't think that that's what it means. It means that when we pray, we don't just say in the name of Jesus many times. We say, because Jesus, uh, this is your character. And I would believe that you would have it this way. Um, and you could also say at the end of your prayer, right? I ask these things believing that you would have it this way. That's what it means. And when you answer amen, when someone prays, it comes from the uh, word in Hebrew, lehamin, which means uh, that you believe it would be true. So the other person, when you say amen, you're saying, I agree with the theme or the concept of that prayer. May it be true. So we're told here uh, to pray in Jesus' name. Uh, this, in an indirect way, also shows that Jesus is all-present, right? Because he can hear all prayers, and he can receive them. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That, must, that means that we must be in a loving relationship and an obedient relationship with Jesus. And then he says, anything you ask in my name, I will do. Um, God loves us. Remember, he wants to work through us. Jesus says, the works that I do, you will do also. And this happens as we're in a close relationship with him, praying according to God's will. When we pray, we're aligning our thoughts and our heart with God. Um, Jesus says, when you pray, do you need to use a lot of words? No. He says, you don't have to use a lot of words. And he says, you don't have to repeat yourself many times. Why? Because the Father, He already knows the things that we need even before we ask. So the question is, why do we pray? And the answer is that we align our heart with God so that He can put His will into our heart and we can pray according to that. And there's another reason as well. Jesus said, as we have answers to prayer, our joy will be full. Let's read now from John chapter 16, verse 23 and 24. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. About a year ago, uh, Martin and I, actually almost exactly a year ago, Martin and I were getting ready to do an outreach trip to Israel. We were going to help a church from California traveled to Israel and served there. And one morning, it was a Saturday morning, I'm sitting at the table and I thought, I better check Marta's passport. So I went in, and as I was walking down the hallway, I just started to feel this heaviness, and I opened up her passport. We hadn't traveled for two years because of the coronavirus. And in those two years, her passport has, had expired. And so I went online, and they said, it's taking um, eight weeks, to, pros uh, to uh, process passports, but they had this thing that if you paid $100 extra, you could maybe get it in 
uh, two to three weeks. Well, our flight was in, I think, 11 days. And so um, I printed out the form, I started filling it out, and we drove to this uh, post office that was still open on that time on Saturday, and we got it in the mail, and we started praying. And uh, like five days before our flight, I called and they said, well, we were in Nebraska at the time, they said, well, you could drive to Denver, but you can only do it the day before your flight, and tell them it's an emergency, and then they'll give you a passport in, you know, in one day. And so I'm thinking, oh, it's like a six-hour drive to Denver, then drive back, and then get on a flight to go to Israel 20 hours. And I was really just thinking, how did I let you know it slip that I missed her passport expiring? But we're praying, and we're also trusting God. But you know how you're trusting God, but you're still working through the details. So. Uh, I called Denver and I made an appointment because you had to have an appointment and I thought okay am I lacking faith that I'm calling there so our flight was on a Wednesday um, and I wasn't expecting that we would get anything until like Monday or something but Thursday of the week before uh, we get a package in the mail and I opened it up and my smile was so big and I said oh buddy here's your passport and our joy was so full Right? Because God had helped us. He answered our prayers. And uh, many of you, you know, you were also praying. Pastor Bob, his health is a little bit weak. His voice is getting weaker. How is God going to bring another person to continue? And I can say that we had joy for your prayers. That your prayers brought us here safely. And it brought us here quickly. And it brought joy to our hearts. And I think to most of you, it brought joy to yours as well. And so, uh, can we read this out loud together if you can see it? One, two, three. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. God wants us to have joy. Uh, It's one of the characteristics of his spirit. And he says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. That's one of the reasons that we pray. And let's briefly uh, remember what it is to pray according to the scripture. First, we're praying according to the name of Jesus, his character. Then we're praying according to the will of God, right? Jesus himself taught us to pray, not my will, but your will be done. We're putting God's will above our own. We're asking and we're abiding in the love of Jesus. And as we ask, we're keeping his commandments, right? So you can't be, um, you know, stealing and using some sort of drugs or something and then come one day of a week to a meeting and pray and expect that your prayer is going to be heard. We have to be keeping his commandments. We have to be living the way that he lived. So these are the basic concepts of praying and how to have answers to our prayers. When we do this, we'll experience answers to our prayer and we'll have the fullness of joy. Now back to 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to continue in... um, reading from verse 14 and 15. 
Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Right. So we have this trust, uh, confidence that we can ask according to his will and whatever we ask. Uh, that's kind of a, a common phrase in what we're reading about prayer today, right? Whatever we ask, meaning we're asking according to his will, but he hears and he will answer. God wants us to put our confidence in him so that we would know that he hears us and that he's going to answer according to his will. Now, there's another aspect of prayer. It's called intercession. And the word isn't used, but the concept is seen in chapter 5, verse 16. If anyone sees a brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask. Okay, so this is the concept of intercession. You see a person sinning, uh, you are concerned for them, so you pray on their behalf. That's what it is to intercede, is to pray on someone else's behalf. It says, if you see a brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, that's the believer, and he, God, will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. We need to consider this verse. Uh, There's some things that John, uh, for whatever reason, chose not to explain. Um, First, we see that it says a brother sinning. So it seems clear that it means a believer. And if you see a believer sinning, the first thing that you should do is not gossip, right? Not judge them, but you should pray for them. And so many times we forget that, don't we? Uh, We see someone doing something wrong and we go and tell somebody else about it. That's not what we should do. We should intercede for them. We can ask the Holy Spirit to convict them. Uh, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of the judgment to come. So we can ask the Holy Spirit to convict that person of their sin. Uh, Based upon Hebrews uh, chapter 12, we can ask God to chasten or to correct that person who's in sin. I'll just read the verses for you. It says, my son, do not despise the chastening or the correction of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges. Right. That sounds kind of painful, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, He scourges like whips uh, every son whom he receives. So it also speaks about God's chastening, which I see in this passage as well. Now, regarding intercession, uh, we need to remember we're to ask in faith, right? You see the person, but you believe that God can break through their sin. And it says that as we ask, he will give him life, right? God wants to restore the person. God will give them life. And some of us, we've gone through that process, right? Where you slowly decline, decline, decline. Someone prays for you, you get pulled out of your addiction or your uh, tendency to sin, and then you find out, wow, God is able still to give me life. 
So uh, this is the first process we see interceding. And I think because there's some difficult concepts here, I want to use a few examples from the scripture. First, uh, Jesus warned Peter and he said, Peter, I have prayed for you. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. So we see that Jesus interceded for Peter. Uh, Jesus knew that Peter was going to be tempted by Satan and that Peter would deny him. But he says, when you are, when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. So we see that God can restore those that sin. And he wants to work through them again because he says, when you return, strengthen your brothers. So after Peter repented, he was able to be used again by God. And we understand that interceding for a person can bring that person's needs before God, help them to get reestablished in the relationship with God, and then be an instrument for God again. Um, in 1 John 5.16, we read, A sin not leading to death. And we read, A sin leading to death. So it talks about God's correction, and uh, we mentioned Peter. He denied Jesus three times, but he repented and he was restored. Peter also asked Jesus a question. He said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And he was looking for a number. But Jesus says it's not about how often, it's about choosing to forgive and having a heart to forgive. He says, if you forgive people their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So it is possible as a believer to sin and to be forgiven. That is a sin not leading to death. But uh, there's also the other concept in this verse that says there's a sin leading to death. And when we have that, um, it reminds us of Judas. Uh, he sinned. Uh, he betrayed Jesus, and then he killed himself. But also, um, Jesus said that he uh, would not be granted eternal life. Uh, so, there's two concepts here. One is that you can pray for a person, they can be restored. And then the other concept is that uh, there are situations where it seems like the person... Uh, would not be restored. You might remember um, Jesus said about Judas, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Right? Those are serious words. Uh, it's in Mark chapter 14, verse 21. So Judas is an example of a sin that brought physical death, but also spiritual death. And in John chapter 17, verse 9, uh, Jesus says he did not pray for those of the world. Um, I sense that Jesus did not pray for Judas. And the logic behind it is that Jesus knew that Judas would not repent. And Jesus knew that Judas would follow uh, the control and the influence of the devil. And that he would die in that condition without true repentance. So since Jesus knows all things, then he did not pray for him because Judas was not a true disciple. Um, we might remember in this letter of 1 John, John is writing to explain who Jesus is, right? That he's the Son of God, 
that he is eternal and that he grants eternal life, but he's also writing to warn that there is false prophets and what he calls antichrist. And in this letter, he never says to pray for the false prophets or the antichrist. Um, during the time of Jeremiah, you might remember that the people of God, they had started worshiping idols, and most of the religious leaders had turned from God. Some of them were even sacrificing their own children in worship of false gods. It was horrible. Jeremiah was troubled by this. Uh, he said uh, that he wished his head was like a fountain of tears, right? That he could just cry and cry when he saw the people's sin. But do you know, three different times in the book of Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah, stop praying for these people. Uh, if you're taking notes, it's Jeremiah 7, 16, Jeremiah 11, 14, and Jeremiah 14, 11. Three times, God knows that he's going to judge the people for the great wickedness, and he tells Jeremiah not to pray for them. It reminds us of the time of the days before the flood of Noah. Noah is a preacher of righteousness. He is warning people of God's correction, of God's judgment, and the judgment of the flood covering the whole earth, it destroyed the people. So it brought physical death. And we can understand from the context, it says that the thoughts and the intent of their heart was only evil continually, that those people also uh, had separation from God. Uh, you can think about the future. When Jesus comes back, there are going to be people that try to fight against him. And it says in Revelation chapter 19 from verse 17 that he's going to destroy them with the sword from his mouth, meaning he's going to speak the word and uh, destroy them. And in Matthew 24 from verse 41, to the end of the chapter, Jesus says that the unbelievers are going to be sent away to everlasting punishment. So there is this category of sin where it seems like a person is apostate, like a false prophet, an antichrist, someone that is so hardened and turned away from God like Pharaoh that eventually uh, God says, don't pray for him. And it's kind of a, a difficult concept, isn't it? Because we want to show compassion to everybody. But there may be a situation where God says, that person is a heretic. They're a false prophet. Don't pray for them. So that's my understanding of this passage. Uh, there is one other consideration about physical death. And you might remember from the passage about communion, that it says that uh, some people were living in a sinful lifestyle. They took uh, communion, the bread and the cup, in an unworthy manner. And Paul says about them, some of them are sick and weak, and some of them have slept, meaning they died. So Martin and I, we have at least one example of a person that we knew that had all indications that they were a believer, but then they started making a series of very bad decisions. The person was stronger than I was, you know, healthy, but died in what seemed to be a judgment from God. And I think that there is a concept that uh, maybe like Ananias and Sapphira, that if a person is such a bad witness that God allows their life to end more quickly than what we would expect, and that it's a correction or a judgment of God. So this is what I see. Um, I want to read from James. Uh, 
this is uh, a reminder to us. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Right? So sin is significant. It's so significant that Jesus chose to become a man and give his life on the cross for our sin. But also, um, we see from James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, James says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, how are you going to do that? You're going to pray, right? You're going to tell them you need to turn back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner away from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitudes of sins. Now, continuing in 1 John chapter 5, verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So that's what James just encouraged us. If you see someone turn away from the truth, pray for them, bring them back. You'll save the soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Also, um, we are going to continue in verse 18. It says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So one of the concepts in 1 John is that if we're a true believer, we're not going to live in a lifestyle of sin, which is expressed here. I think it's better in the ESV. Everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, right? It's not a lifestyle. But he, I believe, speaking of Jesus, uh, who was born of God, the only begotten Son of God, protects him, right? So Jesus protects us. And the evil one doesn't touch him. Don't you like that? This morning, I woke up, and then I couldn't get back to sleep, and then I went to sleep, and then I had a dream. And I was so troubled in the dream that I woke up and I thought, I'm going to have to talk to Greg because... Uh, Greg was in the dream, but then I thought, no, I don't think that that's an actual, an actual dream that I need to worry about. But sometimes you feel like in your dreams, right, that Satan is coming and trying to influence your dreams. But uh, here we're told that Jesus protects us. And I love Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that says, Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. Isn't that great? The one who's at the right hand of the Father, always living to make intercession for us. And we read in earlier in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Uh, it says in verse 19, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Can you see that more and more? Right? So much darkness, so much evil. But we're know that we know that we're from God. And then uh, our identity is in God, and we're not to be led astray by the evil one. Now here's an encouragement that I think is kind of like a summary verse from uh, John's writing, chapter 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. Now listen to this phrase. It's one of the clearest phrases in the scripture of Jesus being God. Because in Greek, uh, whatever the previous sentence ends in, the next sentence is going to point back to that. 
it's going to be the object. So it says, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. So the object at the end of the sentence is Jesus Christ. And then it says so clearly, this is the true God and eternal life. And in the same chapter, chapter 5, verse 11, we're told that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in him, in Jesus. So it's a clear explanation and declaration that Jesus is God, that he's one with the Father. And Jesus came to reveal the Father. He said, if you have seen me in John chapter 14, you have seen the Father. Jesus is expressing who the Father is, and that's why we read the scripture, to understand uh, the, though we're yet to be in heaven, heaven came to touch us on earth and to give us that hope of heaven in our hearts. And because we want to live in reality of our eternity with the Father, we're to keep ourselves from idols. It says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Now, most of us don't have a small statue that we bow down and pray before. But some people, you know, they spend so much time doing one thing, it becomes like an idol to them. We had a friend that was always so concerned about their car. And I told Marta, I said, that car is like an idol to that person, right? Always making sure that it's waxed, clean. Um, and uh, John says, keep yourself from idols. Um, I woke up, I don't remember which day it was, but this verse was so clear in my mind. Uh, it's from 1 Peter chapter 4, 7 and 8, and we'll finish with this. Uh, can we stand? We'll read this, and then we'll, um, we'll pray. So, Peter writes, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. I believe that there's many indicators that we're closer to the end than most of us even believe. Uh, and Peter says, look, you see these things, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And then he also says, and above all, have fervent love, right? A burning compassion for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. That's kind of a good verse to summarize what we've studied today. Let's pray. We first want to say thank you, Heavenly Father, for loving us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth and showing us who the Father was and giving your life as a sacrifice for our sins. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you impart your love into our hearts. Lord, we see uh, things getting difficult in the world, things getting dark in our society, and we want to be serious and watchful in our prayers. And also, we want to intercede for people that have gone astray. And Lord, help us to choose to walk after you that we wouldn't need to receive any of your correction or be subject to your judgment. We want to pray that you would fill our hearts with love that you would give us joy of answered prayers, and that we would understand that your love can cover a multitude of sins. We commit ourselves to you, and this time together we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.